morning, everybody. Now, I'm borrowing my wife's Bible. Okay, now, it is not, I knew it was just going to happen, all right. Um, it happens to be the right translation that I need for this morning. It happens to fit the, uh, the screen we'll use in a moment. Um, and it's big print. So um, it works in a couple of directions here, right? Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to, uh, and by the way, the daisy will be important later. Just saying. Just getting you ready for the daisy, okay? So um, we're going to pray, and then um, we're going to explore, all right? Thank you, Father, for the beauty of this day that reminds us of your graciousness toward us toward the good and toward the not so good. You are gracious in all your ways. But we thank you, Lord, that you love us with a love that's um, eternal, inexplicable, boundless, ferocious. You love us with a love that says, I ain't going to take no two-timing. And you're going to pursue us, Lord, until you have every bit of our soul to love you back the way you love us. And thank you that you're that kind of God. And so we pray today that uh, as we look at this text in which you touch a man's deepest, deepest, deepest love, that you help us to learn what you're like. We hope that also, Lord, that you would open us to what you're doing in us. All for the glory of your Son, who is the greatest example. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to show my age. Um, there was a song by the Young Rascals. Again, most of you have never heard of them, but it was a really good song. And it went like this. It's 1969. It was a great hit, okay? And it's come out three different versions since then. And I'm not going to sing it. You wouldn't want that, okay? Trust me. I know what my gifts aren't, okay? And, that's, uh, and it goes, how can I be sure? I just sang it, didn't I? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, in a world, can you guys join me with it? That's constantly changing where I stand with you. That wasn't too bad. Genesis 22. Turn me with me there. How can I be sure where I stand with you? This is a song that Yahweh, the God of the universe, is going to sing in Genesis 22, not really, but you gotta, you got to work with me a little bit. This will be the theme. Where do I stand with you, Abraham? And to get to our context here, I'm going to read this text, and then I'm going to put it in context, and then we'll go explore it, okay? So if you have your Bible, um, I'm going to be reading it from uh, this translation because uh, it works well. And um, I'm going to give a couple comments as I walk through it. But then we're going to explore it. Now, I want you to note one little thing. There's a movie coming out about this story. The same folks who did The Chosen. Now, if you want to explore the deep dive emotional uh, 
uh, agony that Abraham is going to go through, watch that movie. If you want to read the biblical text, join me today. When the writers of Scripture write things, what they include and what they exclude is very, very important. When we read Scripture, and it's one of the things I really appreciate about Nathan, is trying to help us to learn to read the, the, the Scripture themselves. Remember, we're not looking at a stained glass window through the window to see outside and what we can explore out there. No, we look at the glass. We observe the window. What's it telling us? What's there? What's not there? When a sacred writer writes, and I believe it's Moses who writes this story, remember he has an audience. And I'm going to help you and remember, I remind my students, who's the original audience hearing this story? It's a bunch of Israelites camped on the edge of the Jordan River in Moab, and they're sharpening their swords. Hearing this story, their children, grandchildren are all gathered around them like this. And they're hearing this story because what are they prepared to do? Remember, they have been rescued from Egypt. It's 40 years later, and most of their parents are dead in the, in the wilderness. And so this is the second generation. And they're preparing to go in to the land that God had promised Abraham he would get. Remember chapter 17, Genesis, um, God told them, hey, they're, they're going to be in 400 years. They're going to be for 400 years. They're going to be in a wilderness. They're going to come back to this place, Abraham. But here they are, sharpening their swords. And Abraham is going to tell this story. It's going to have huge implications. Now, the other thing important to remember, there are three levels of reading this. We're going to focus on the first level first, and that is the story of Abraham himself. The second level is how is Israel supposed to be hearing this? The third level is how does this fit into the big overall picture of God's plan from Genesis to Revelation? How does this fit? There are three levels, and with God's help, we're going to get through all three. Let's start with the first one. I'm not going to get very far after the first verse. After these things, the reason I chose this text is if you have an NIV, what's it say? Sometime later. That's not actually what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew actually says after these things. That's why I chose it. What things? And um, Curtis had a great um, class a while back about reading texts. We got to look at the text. After these things, what happened in Genesis 21? Remember, at 75 years of old age, Yahweh shows up to Abram in Ur and says, get out of here. I promise you um, descendants, a land, and blessing. Okay, I'm gone. He was 75. Well, you remember the previous chapter? Finally, after all the tests, um, okay, um, well, Lot, is he my heir? Nope. 
Um, is Eliezer the servant? Is he my heir? Nope. Oh, is it Ishmael? Nope. It's somebody that's going to come from both you, Abraham, and Sarah. At 100 years old, Abraham changes diapers. The immediate preceding chapter, chapter 21, he's 100 years old, and Yahweh finally says, here, it's a boy. <laughs> now remember something. After these things, and in chapter 21, it's very intentional Exactly as the Lord said, exactly as the Lord said, exactly as the Lord said, exactly as the Lord said. If you read that and don't come away with, you know what? Yahweh keeps his word. Exactly, always, specifically, and on time. He's never late. He keeps it. Now, what's fun is wild is what happened in the immediate preceding chapter. Ishmael. Your son, whom you love, he's out of the picture. Remember, after these things, Abraham has already lost one son. Are you getting this? He loved Ishmael. The Lord took care of Ishmael, but he's off the stage. All he has now is this son of promise that the Lord had promised him all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of his aspirations, all of his longings are wrapped up in this little kid who's now about 17 years old. In some Jewish literature, he's in the 30s. But the point is, he's big enough to hold wood and carry wood, and he's smart enough to have a nice dialogue with his daddy. And he's also big enough and strong enough to run. But that's another, we're getting ahead of our story. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham simply said, Hineni in Hebrew, here I am. That's the right response. He said, now this is going to get really, really powerful. Watch this. Take your son your only son, there should be a comma there, Isaac, whom you love. Notice that. If you'd like to write in your Bible, a good place to write it the first time you see the word love in, in the Hebrew Bible. Right here. It's going to be very important. Whom you love and go to the land of, of Moriah. Now, if you remember this go-to, it, it should remind you of Genesis chapter 12. It's the exact same wording of Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. Same exact expression. Go to the land that I will tell you. Ah, I've heard this before. That plays into this confidence. And offer him, what? Offer him there as a burnt offering, an ola. You guys have all heard the expression holocaust. Do you know holocaust simply means whole burnt offering? That's all it means. Go offer him 
on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, Moriah, um, pretty interesting note. Um, this is Jerusalem area. Moriah, 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. This will be uh, where the Lord instructs David to buy the threshing floor because David messes up big way. People are dying because of David's um, uh, disobedience. And he says, go buy this, uh, this uh, threshing floor. Why? Because it's on a mountain. A threshing floor, you go at the top of the mountain, you take your grain up there, you throw it in the wind, and all the uh, shaft goes away, and you take the grain home. Buy this threshing floor, David, and offer an, a crazy amount of sacrifices, and I will stop the plague that I'm bringing upon your people, my people, caused by your disobedience. And what's David do? He does it. He buys it. He cleanses it. He puts sacrifices on it. And guess what? Solomon takes that space and turns it into the place where the temple is built. Keep that in mind. That's going to be important a little bit later on in the story. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and notice he, he has tremendous anxiety. You see that right here in the text? I don't see it in mine. Watch what happens. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men. By the way, the same uh, expression is used to describe uh, Isaac. These guys, they're warrior age. Okay? Um, his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, we've got three days of work here, three days of action, and there's nothing said about it. Remember, what's left out is also quite important. On the third day, that important, that uh, third day expression, very important in the New Testament, isn't it? Little eye, uh, just keep a little eye on that. It, it, it works out later. Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Now, things are going to slow down here. He, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship. Now, notice what this is really about. It's worship. Yahweh is calling him to go to the mountain to worship. That's very important, and we'll watch, see this work play out here more for Israel in a second. But there's a hint here. And we will come again to you. Now notice, there's nothing in this narrative that gives us that little we, though. The writer of Hebrews is going to exploit this. The writer of Hebrews is making this point that, wow, Yahweh says, I'm going to give your, a son to you. His name is Isaac. I'm going to name him for you already. It means laughter. Ha, 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 ha. Hey, ha, ha, come here. But by the way, I want to take, I'm going to rip ha-ha out from your hands and make you grief. What a crazy God. Right? But remember, he's up to something here. He's up to something. But Abraham says, we will come back. The writer of Hebrews says, all right, 
Yes, the Lord has promised Abraham, through Isaac, all nations will be blessed. Your, your seed, your lineage is going to come through him. Oh, by the way, kill him. Offer him. Reconcile them. I cannot. Can you? Do you realize there's a whole lot of things the Lord calls you and me to do? We simply can't reconcile. There's a whole lot of things in the scripture that is this amazing tension. But you know what uh, the writer of Hebrews does is an amazing thing. He says, well, let's go and explore a little bit of Abraham's thinking. He had come to such a place in his confidence in Yahweh, his love and devotion for Yahweh, his absolute trust in Yahweh, that he goes, hmm, I guess he's going to raise him from the dead. Now, my brain wouldn't have gone there. My brain went again, what in the world? Which God is this? Now, by the way, um, just FYI, i got to hurry up here. Um, do you realize in uh, Jubilees, in, in one of the texts um, that the Jewish people wrote between the time of Malachi and the time of Jesus, they take God off the hook. Did you know that? Because the word, when it says um, God uh, said in verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 22, it's actually in Hebrew, the God. There's a definite article there. And so what they do is say, ah, this is like the Job story. This wasn't Yahweh. This was Mastima, one of the demons, okay, who says, Abraham's only following you, Yahweh, because you give him stuff. Take the prized possession from him and see what he's doing to do. He's going to spit in your eye. That's Jubilees, 17, I believe. Can't go there. This is Yahweh doing this. It's the God you have actually claimed as your own through Jesus. It's this God. Is he this crazy to touch the deepest most prized possession of your heart and go taking it. Some of you have known that. Some of you have known the tension. Some of you have known the challenge. But we're not done. It says... And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. They went both of them together. Now, this is the only conversation recorded between Isaac and Yahweh, uh, Isaac and Abraham in the Bible. It, it's really powerful. Isaac said to his father, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Where is the lamb? Abraham said, Yahweh, Yireh, lo, for himself. The word is God will see. God will see to it. Or provide for it. It can be translated in a way, but it actually means see. God will see to it. 
for himself a burnt offering. And this is the last um, expression in the Bible between Abraham and his son. It's the end of this conversation. My son. My son. Wow. The emotional weight of this is beyond human comprehension. When they came to the place of which God had told him, now it's going to slow down in the narrative. Abraham built there and laid the wood in, in order. And all the ands here in the text slow everything down. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid, on him, uh, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached, Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to solder his son. The sacrifice has been completed. Here. Now we know that God's going to intervene and save his son Isaac. But the sacrifice has been done here. What has Abraham sacrificed so far? Himself, his heart, everything he holds dear. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, not once, but twice. Notice, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is an extremely important point. What's happening here? Is God not omniscient? Yes, he is. What this is about, and we're going to talk about covenants here, and I don't have much time, but I've got four minutes to talk about covenants. A covenant, you remember in the preceding chapter, a covenant is a solemn um, commitment between two parties. That's what a covenant is. Our closest that we have in our culture is marriage, where two people stand before a group and declare something. A covenant is a binding oath. In the Old Testament, there are different kinds of covenants. I want to talk about them, okay? There are conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. Actually, there's, uh, we'll talk about that in more in a, in a second, too. The first covenants introduced is, Abraham, is uh, actually Noah, chapter 6 and 9. Um, but it's interesting there that in Genesis chapter 6, notice how that, terror, that story of Noah starts. Now, Noah found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, and he was blameless before the Lord. Notice how that story starts? Then the covenant is established. And then chapter 9 of Genesis, there's a formal ceremony with an altar, with a meal, and a pledge. Talk about the rainbow, remember? Rainbow. I won't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to waste the world again with a, with a flood. Covenant. The Abraham covenant. 
And Genesis 12 is verbal. This is a different kind of covenant. Let me talk to you about this just briefly. It's what many would call a royal land-grant covenant. It's where an ancient uh, a king in the Mesopotamian world would say, I am going to take a loyal subject of mine, and I'm going to grant him land. Land's precious. And I'm going to give that to him because he is faithful to me. He is a loyal partner, covenant partner. And I'm going to give it to him, and then I'm going to give it to him for perpetuity. That is, for his family, his um, grandsons and great-grandsons, they're going to keep it. It's theirs. All I, don't, all I need from them is loyalty. They trust my word to keep my word, and they're going to be loyal to me. That's what this is for Abraham. Now, in contrast to Genesis um, 6, where Noah is already declared to be righteous, okay, and blameless, guess what? Um, that has not been declared or seen in the um, Abraham narrative. In Genesis chapter 15, and I have to clarify this too, Genesis 22 is not how to get saved. Genesis 15 makes it very clear that the only thing that Yahweh wants or requires for a human being to be right with him is faith. Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned that to him as righteousness. You're right with me, Abraham, because you believe my words, you believe my promises, you're trusting in me, and so me as the great divine king, you've shown me the honor and the respect and the loyalty by affirming that. You've trusted in me, therefore you're right with me. And then there's a ceremony in Genesis 15. The animals are cut in half. Yahweh goes through it. It's unilateral. Remember, unilateral, Yahweh is the only one who goes through. It's unconditional. Yahweh says, it's on me. But where's the test? Ah, oh, because it, there are 10 tests of Abraham from chapter 12 until this one right here. Abraham is falling forward. He, keep, he makes up, oh, okay, I, I goof up, I'm in Egypt. Oop, oop, uh, I do this, whoops. But Yahweh's always faithful, he's all, but he's testing him. And what's happening is Abraham, through this journey, I love this because it's just like you and me. Lord, I've trusted you. And, and July 4th of 1976, I became a Christian. Bicentennial year. The Lord knows I need help in the time-wise, Okay. I trusted him to save me. I finally got it that Jesus Christ was enough. I trusted in him alone for my salvation. And I have never doubted for one microsecond my eternal destiny. If Jesus is a liar, I'm in real trouble. But all my hope is in him, the person. I'm trusting in him, his promises, and what he's done. That is salvation. And if you've not done that, this is the day to do it. What are you waiting for? But here's the thing. That then launched a journey, and I'm praising God for Abraham's story because mine's just like it. Falling, falling, falling. Get up. Oh, I got more to teach you. Hey, you not trust me quite yet enough. And I have to tell you a story. 
in October of um, 2012, um, I had my um, Mariah moment. Um, I was in a U-Haul truck with everything I owned and a little trailer behind me pulling my Jeep. And I was um, driving away from the home that I had built. And um, the family that I loved. I was driving away from the vocation that I was actually passionate about. And I was coming to Lebanon, Ohio. Because this is where I was from. I knew my marriage was over. Everything I held dear, one moment. I was not officially divorced until 14. And I was hoping for reconciliation, but my former wife, wife uh, remarried in 18. That chapter was over. But what happened in those years was God at work. I can't tell you how many times I sat on the edge of my bed and in my apartment in Middletown, Ohio and said, Lord, every hope, every dream, every aspiration of my life, it's here. It's you. I got nothing. And walking through that um, journey and letting him take away the things that needed to be taken away to add the things that needed to be added. Remember James chapter 1? Why in the world, how in the world can James said, count it all joy when you encounter this stuff? Because if you remember the context of James 1, he says, because God's about something. He's about something. He's taking away Dwayne, the things that he doesn't want there. He's adding the things that you need because he's perfecting you. He's transforming you in such a way that you will love him the way he loves you. He'll remove every obstacle from you that keeps you from doing that. And I said, sign me up, Lord. And what's really amazing to me, in October 18 of 2020, God said, there. She's right back there in the back seat. Okay, anyway. Uh, but I wasn't ready for her until God did the things he needed to do in me. And here's my question. And this is what's amazing, because the Lord is now going to show up. He says, now I know. You notice the word um, when the Lord shows up. It's the angel of the Lord. I'm going to talk about that more in a second, too. In a second. Um, when he shows up, he says, um, now I know. Not because I need the information, but now I acknowledge that you revere me. You fear me. Do you know the word um, Yara to uh, Jehovah Jireh? And fear, Yara, sound exactly alike. They're spelt a little differently but they sound exactly alike. Do you think Moses didn't know what he was doing? This is the ultimate 
description and definition of what it means to fear the Lord in the entire Bible. Right here. Did you know that? You don't have to explore the definitions of it. Read Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? And knowledge of the Holy One, that brings understanding. You fear me. Not, oh no, it's a fly swatter from heaven. <laughs> Hold it. If that's your image of God, you've got a long way to go in your understanding of him. You fear me. You love me back. You've finally gotten to know me well enough, Abraham, that you know the safest place for Isaac in the entire cosmos is on that pile of wood. Because I made a promise to you, and you've learned that you can trust me in everything I say, and therefore relinquish everything you have because of your love and your loyalty and your devotion to me. There is no second fiddle in your life. Abraham, notice what it says. Because you have not withheld your son, your only son. You, do, you notice what's missing there? Do you see it in the text that you saw in the first two verses? The one whom you love. Also, notice when they go back, do you see any description of Isaac? You can look carefully, it's not there. He returns with his servants. In fact, there are some Jewish writers who make up a whole lot of wacko stuff about what happened there. But again, we want to fill in blanks. But the writer is doing something. The writer is making it clear that he offered his son. And there are no, more, there are no rivals in Abraham's life. He loves his son. Now let me tell you something. This is not about don't love the Lord too much or don't love this, your child too much or your spouse too much or they'll take them. He'll take them from. Please, spare God that baggage. You love your son, your daughter, you love your spouse with everything in you because God does. But if you love the Lord and you know him well enough, what happens with your hand and your heart is they get connected. And you go here. You go here. Here. You trust him. And then, watch what happens. The Lord who says, stop. He goes in verse 15 and following. Notice, oh, I'm sorry. Got ahead of myself. Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. This is important because Yahweh will see to it. Where? And as it said to this day, what day? This is Moses writing this text. And here are the Israelites. Kept, oh, even now we call that that. Oh, that's why, Dad. Is that what we call it? Yeah. Because of what happened on the mountain. Oh. On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On the Mount of the Lord. Now, why is that going to be important for Israel? And by the way, provided, it will be seen. 
Israel will be required, the males of Israel will be required three times to show up. They will need to, yarah, they will need to ra'ah, appear before the Lord. They'll need to make a showing. Here we are. Because we have the same faith of Abraham. We trust in you, and therefore we're going to give our firstborn of our flocks, we're going to give our best, and we're going to bring it and offer it to you, Lord. The faith of Abraham. But notice verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time. By myself I have sworn. Now think about this. You go to, um, try, you go to a, a courtroom, put your hand on a what? Why? Because you say, I swear by God. Well, when God's going to swear, what's he going to do? I swear by me. Because there's no higher place to swear. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, I have not had withheld your son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand that's on the seashore. By the way, that's bringing them together. And your offspring, this is, a, this is both addition, expansion, and um, uh, underscore of the promise. And in your, I'm sorry, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, that's going to be very important for Israel, sharpening their swords, right? Yes, this is a promise to them. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, the word offspring in verse 18, zarah in Hebrew, is singular. It's also translated, some of you have a different translation, seed, perhaps. That's it. Your seed, singular. Now, this is expansion. This is a universal expansion of the covenant. Not simply land, seed, and blessing, but through your seed, your descendant, all the nations on the earth will be blessed. By the way, that's the one that includes you and me. This is the text right here that underscores the influence of what God's done in Abraham. Now, I have a little um, daisy here. I'm about to wrap up my message here. Um, I was going to end it with a, another song, uh, Whitney Houston. How will I know? He really loves you. Okay, sorry. Say, oh, yeah, you got it. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, then I thought, well, daisies work, you know, because, you know, how it works, you know. How's it, how's it go? You got to help me out here. He loves me. He loves me not. And I had this really cool idea. I was going to uh, pluck this in such a way that I ended up with a cross, right? Pretty neat, right? But the problem is it, it's all the same size, so it wouldn't show up. And then I, I figure out, oh, well, guess what? I've got another image. It's um, right here. It's right here. See this? Right there. Um, because when we go to the New Testament, there are two texts I want to kind of highlight, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, in John um, 6, I'm sorry, um, John 8, 55, 56, um, the Lord, Jesus has this amazing uh, debate going on with the uh, uh, religious leaders about um, uh, Jesus' parentage. They've heard the rumors. We know, we've heard the stories about who your daddy is, okay? Ooh, 
Um, but then he says, um, actually, um, God is my father, essentially. And he makes this comment um, that's pretty wild about him and Abraham. And here's the text I want you to think about for a moment. Abraham rejoiced to see what? My day. And was glad. What day? If you read the Gospel of John, that refers to only one thing. This. It refers to this. That will be the day that he will be lifted up and glorified and all men will be uh, drawn to him. This is what the, the honoring of Christ, the revealing of who he is will be shown here. Now, go back to a little moment about who that angel is talking to Abraham. It says it's the angel of the Lord. Now, remember something. The Father is never shown visibly in the Old Testament. Neither is the, the Spirit. It's whom we would actually name Jesus at Bethlehem is the manifestation of God in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. In fact, his name, the Lord's name, Yahweh, is in him. And that makes him whom? The Lord. Now, it's interesting, in chapter uh, 19 of uh, Genesis, uh, the Lord showed up in physical form and had dinner with Abraham. Do you realize that three times in the Bible, it says that Abraham is God's what? I'm convinced, and by the way, I, I didn't come up with this. I, I got it from my, one of my mentors, okay? He was so smart to come up. Wow, he made this connection. He wrote the commentary on Genesis. It's amazing. But he said, what's that conversation going on at that mountain when he stops his hand and speaks to him? It's at that moment, we don't, I don't think Abraham got all the details about all this, but Abraham somehow got insight into what God was doing and how the angel of the Lord would be involved in this. Wow, this blows my mind. That somehow Yahweh, the presentation, we know John 3, 16, all this by heart. God so loved us that he what? He gave He did not stay the hand. And Jesus and Gethsemane is the closest picture to the Abraham moment we see. But there, all the emotions of the eternal Son of God are put on display. Father, Father, you can do this. Not my will, but yours be done. One more text. Romans 8. Paul says, reflecting on this text, this event, if he did not, what? Withhold his son, how will he not also freely give us all things? Do you get it? What God's doing in you and me through these little tests that James talks about, the daily tests that he talks about, the picking up your cross and following him daily, what he's talking about, what he's saying is, look, I've got a plan. I'm working this. I want you to love me back. I want you to love me back the way I love you. And so I'm going to give you all these opportunities in your life, and I'm going to be patient with you, but I'm coming for it. I'm going to put my finger on it, and we're going to talk, and then you're going to finally come to a point where you're going to go, 
the safest place for every aspiration and hope I have in my life is in you. How will I know he really loves me? He stretched out his hands. We're getting ready to take a communion here in a moment. You remember that night? He said, this is my body given for you. This is my blood of the new covenant. I'm establishing. And so all the Old Testament covenants, Abraham, the covenant at Sinai, the covenant with David, the new covenant promised by Jeremiah, are all coming together. And Jesus says, it's in my blood. So when you and I take of the elements that we're going to share in a moment, we are actually responding to the same promise from the same God that Abraham responded to. Well, we trust him. How will I know? He really loves me. Here it is. And you and I can go. Yes. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth that you're testing us. But in order to bless us, you're testing us in order to remove every obstacle between us. And we thank you that as we've grown, we've learned that you are worthy of our first of our best, that we can be absolutely unwavering in in our confidence of you. And Lord, as we prepare for communion, I pray that we would be able to remember that our love to you is simply response for your indescribable love for us. We give you praise. I know there are many people in this room who have gone through the Abraham moments. We're going through the James moments even now. But I help, Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would help us to learn that it's all about you. We're learning to love you. We're learning to trust you. And you'll be certain to provide on the mountain. You will provide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.